from NBC5 Chicago. With the new year, Illinois becomes the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana. We will never be able to fully remedy the depth of the unfairness and the damage that it's visited upon so many families. But with that change comes a component which many of those states have not tackled. We must own our role in the harm that we have caused and particularly to communities of color. It's an element which proponents argue is a necessary effort to right what they contend were wrong, spawned by the nation's war on drugs. Everything I worked for just went down the drain because of one little arrest. This is High Expectations, Cannabis in Illinois. I'm Phil Rogers, joined by Courtney Copenhagen, my colleague covering cannabis issues here at NBC5. There are a lot of people who want to see this as a new industry, as revenue for the state. It is those things. And we want justice and fairness in the industry too. But it is principally, and the reason that I came to this was really about the criminal justice reform aspects of it and safety for people all across our state. We are just a few days away from recreational sales beginning and Right now, all the talk is about those sales and about the millions of dollars that stand to be made from these sales and whether or not people are going to be using it on the street and you have to walk through a plume of smoke and all that. But in reality, a major part of the 610-page bill is social equity. It was a major priority for our governor. He wanted to wipe out the convictions of low-level offenses and he wanted to set up a system where communities affected by the war on drugs can now get into the cannabis business. It is a big priority. In fact, many of the authors of the bill say this would not have happened if social equity would not have been included in the law. When we sat down with state's attorney Kim Fox Courtney, she was quite passionate. In fact, she brought up the subject of her own family's marijuana use when they lived at Cabrini Green. I talk very openly about the fact my mother used marijuana, um, had been undiagnosed with a mental health issue for many years, used it as her own self-medication. I knew my mother wasn't a criminal. She was a great mother. But the notion that she could have been um, incarcerated for it when it was helping her with the things that she needed to do to function, to be able to be on this side of it and watch our medical program, to watch this become legal, and to take the stigma away from folks um, who had previously borne the weight of the law, it, it's, it's gratifying. What we've seen and learned um, about the war on drugs, particularly in communities of color that have been devastated by violence, um, and high unemployment, that we have people who are there who really want to engage um, legally, lawfully um, in our communities. And the things that are holding them back, um, like these convictions for these low-level offenses that we could all agree um, don't impact public safety, means that they're going to be able to, to, to thrive in ways that perhaps they hadn't. This is a big deal for these individuals. You know, these minor convictions have prevented them from getting housing, jobs, school loans. You know, I talked to one girl who had a minor arrest 20 years ago. It's followed her all this time, and she says she doesn't even smoke it anymore. 
But you still have to check a box on an application for employment that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Um, you have to check a box when you're trying to get housing, when you're trying to apply for federal student aid. For many people who've been locked out of you know, the legal economy or locked out of opportunities because of this conviction, it opens the door for them to be productive members of our society. The, the consequences of this are huge. So Courtney, the procedure is a little complicated. How exactly is it going to work? It's automatic for arrests of 30 grams or less. You don't have to do anything for this. The state police have already identified all eligible convictions, and then they send them to the Prisoner Review Board. Cynthia Cornelius from the Cabrini Green Legal Aid actually spelled it out for us. They will not have to do anything. Um, Non-convictions will be automatically expunged by the Illinois State Police and the arresting agencies. Um, convictions that fall under the law that is for cases that involve 30 grams or less of cannabis could be pardoned by the governor. And the likelihood is very great because, as you said, there are the um, Illinois Sentencing Policy Advisory Council has identified about 700,000 cases. Now, that's not 700,000 individuals, but a lot of people um, that have records that are eligible for automatic expungement under this law. As you can imagine, this will end up creating a lot of paperwork for the state's attorney's office. Kim Fox even estimates that up to 70 percent of those 700,000 cases may be in Cook County alone. So they actually have outsourced and are tapping into a nonprofit based out of San Francisco, and it's called Code for America, and they're the ones that are going to help identify these cases that are eligible for the expungement. So the Illinois State Police uh, has the records for everyone within the state who's been convicted of uh, cannabis possession. So what happens is we get from the Illinois State Police uh, their database of folks who they believe are eligible. Code for America, the nonprofit who's helping us, goes through that database and identifies the statutory language that is for the eligible convictions. Uh, so that 30 grams or less. Code for America scrubs the state police records and says here are the records that are eligible and that we believe um, are, should be presented for vacating. Then what they do is they take the name, the record, um, and all of the information from that state police file and populate a form, right? They fill out the paperwork that will be presented in court. They then give that to us. We go into court and on our motion and ask the judge to vacate the conviction. Of course, this doesn't cover everyone, and there is similar relief for those with convictions from higher amounts, but we should note that this doesn't include anyone where their marijuana case was tied to a violent crime. That's a deal breaker, and, and those are excluded. Now, we saw this firsthand. Courtney, you and I were at a, an NBC5 community action board meeting, and those are community groups, nonprofits that come into NBC5 periodically, and we hear their concerns. And we were doing a cannabis presentation for them, and were you surprised at how that social equity component really jumped out? 
Yes, it was like the number one question. They really wanted to talk about that because they said in their communities, uh, and this was communities across Chicagoland, that really was the number one issue because so many people were affected by it. Now, Courtney, you actually saw this firsthand. You attended an expungement and social equity clinic where a lot of individuals were coming in to learn the process. What did you see there? I was surprised. It was held on a Saturday afternoon, and it was standing room only. There were three presenters up there kind of letting everybody know how they can tap into this and benefit from recreational sales. But on the side, in a smaller room, was kind of the expungement clinic of it, where people were standing around with their police records and trying to learn about the whole process. Even though the process is automatic, they want to kind of be proactive and see if they are eligible and see what they can do to maybe speed up the process. So they were in there, and I met several of them. One of the girls I had talked to was Chantel Daniels. She's an adult now, but back in college she got arrested, and her school funding was cut off because it was a federal loan. So she had to move back home. She couldn't get the vouchers for federal housing either because of this arrest. I was just finishing up college, but I wanted to go back. But having that on my record uh, affected me getting school loans. So it kind of hindered my education. It was heartbreaking because at the same time, it also put a halt to my life. At the end of the day, this expungement uh, process they're doing now will lessen those worries. Another gentleman I met, Emilio Martinez, he was there with his police records, and he's desperately trying to get his slate cleaned, I suppose, if you want to say that. But he openly talks about how it's been really difficult for a job when he thought he was the leading candidate for it. He found out in the end that he was rejected because of his record. As a young kid, I mean, I did a lot of, you know, young and dumb things. I, you know, ran around, you know, with the wrong crowd here and there. So I, I got myself into quite some trouble. Now, uh, you know, in, in my later life, uh, it actually has been affecting me in a lot of ways uh, due to, you know, trying to find better jobs and give myself a better situation. Uh, I am a father of four, you know, at the same time, you know, and it did uh, get in the way of actually me being able to, to take care of my kids. There was a lot of times where I had a lot of high expectations just because the people were actually getting to know me and uh, interviewed me, but when my background came into play, you know, they were just as disappointed as I was because of the fact that they were not able to hire me. I heard that story a lot, that story everybody I talked to. It, this arrest has had an effect on their life. They weren't able to get the jobs that they wanted or they lost jobs. It's really hurt them all through their lives. And there was even a guy there who he took matters into his own hand and had his record expunged so he could get a better job. And now he's at this clinic because he's trying to be proactive and actually tell others in his community about the expungement process. And even though it's automatic, he's hoping that people can kind of take matters into their own hand and help themselves because it really made a difference in his life. But again, the whole clinic, it wasn't just about expungement. There were so many people there who wanted to learn more about the social equity portion of this bill. And that really is the other component that has gotten almost no attention uh, during this whole discussion of legalized cannabis. 
Uh, that's the other s- section of social equity, which involves grants and low-interest loans for those wanting to get into the cannabis business who are from these affected communities. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that folks that are already in the cannabis business, and there's been a lot of discussion about that, but they have put a lot of money into what's called the Business Development Fund. Just to get a license, $100,000 to go into the Cannabis Business Development Fund when you fill out the application. Plus, you have to deposit another $100,000 to that fund. Or a $100,000 grant to a training program. Or a donation of $100,000 to a job training service. Or you have to set up a business incubator program, which includes a grant of $100,000 to whoever you are incubating. Now, that's just for every person, every entity, every company that applies for a license for a dispensary in Illinois and a similar procedure for, for cultivation centers. There's also another $12 million from medical cannabis going into that fund. Now, that huge fund, multi-millions of dollars. In fact, Cresco Labs, one of the companies that will be selling recreational cannabis, estimates they've already contributed some $3 million to that fund. Those are the monies that are going to be available for individuals to tap into to try to get loans to get into the cannabis business. So we're talking about a lot of money here. A lot of people will say that these individuals who they're helping now, they did break the law. Well, they did break the law. They weren't wrongfully convicted. They did break the law. It was illegal. It is still illegal as of today. So when we asked Kim Fox about that, she said, you know, sometimes society changes and it's all about the opinion of right and wrong. We don't go back um, and say, well, that's too bad. I mean, I think about laws that forbade you know, African-Americans and whites to marry. That was on the books. People could go to jail for that. Um, And we look back and we say, really, do we still want to hold people um, accountable to that? I think it's morally unjust to hold others back for something that is now legal. Again, recreational marijuana becomes legal in Illinois January 1st. This has been High Expectations, Cannabis in Illinois. With Courtney Copenhagen, I'm Phil Rogers.